welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Yo, what's up, everybody? Knock On Podcast number I don't know. Uh, for those of you who complain that I eat in the microphone, I'm probably going to eat something, I'm starving, and there's also a dog eating some kind of a dead leg that was brought up to this house just here. I'm in. You're starving right now. How are you starving? I'm we just ate again. dinner. Seriously? <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's more food. Well, I'll do it after this podcast. I can't miss this opportunity. I'm here with two. Super good homies, Evan Hafer from Black Rifle Coffee Company, and Andy Stumpf from No Company. 30 seconds <laughs> out. <laughs> That's Evan, <laughs> not me. It's all the same. It's from uh, BJJ White Belt <laughs> Association. White belts are people, too. They are. <laughs> you don't have to all judge. That is a great all belts matter. By the way. Do they not have you that? Need, you need <laughs> to make that T-shirt tomorrow. White belts are people too, dude. I'm gonna Come wait on. to launch this podcast after you've trademarked that T-shirt. Yeah. Somebody else will make it, and we can just buy it for large yeah. sums of money. It's fine. Yeah, it's totally fine. Yeah. Uh, we're down here in Texas. Had an unreal few days. Seriously. Um, just to give everyone a recap, Andy and I got to go hunting on a a really cool place down in South Texas that heads up some tremendous uh, whitetail, I don't know, I don't even know how to explain it. It was so it, complex. The it's incredibly of, unique what they are doing. And yeah. I, and my, I mean, my best description would be in a sure I'm messing this up, but it's, it seems to there's a true love of whitetail and mm-hmm. information and research and just a passion for that animal. So, I mean, really, I don't, I don't know how much, yeah. uh, I don't there's know. How, so much yeah. data collection going on for universities, for some videos coming out. And, um, there's just a family that owns an incredible piece of property. That's fair chase. Um, and do a lot of data studies, and the data goes to college interns, biologists. There's full-time biologists there. And I was able to learn a lot about deer age and things that are common to whitetail, you know, people who are into, like, QDMA, quality deer management, but also things that are, like, almost, like, fables that aren't truly you know, where they have data showing, well, everyone thinks this is true, but it's not. What, like what? Um, like, well, for example, one of the really cool things that they had was because they are so data-oriented, they have um, bucks that they pulled the jaws at a certain age, and you can see the, the wear of the jaw to where when they show it to most people, they say, well... You know, this is a three-year-old deer, but in fact, it was a seven-year-old deer that was fed on a different type of food. So the tooth Mm. wear was much different. And then, you know, then they have another deer where it's like, this deer's only this old, but it looks this old. 
um, which was really, really cool. And then just some of the statistics, statistics that they had um, having bucks that had years where they had high stress factors and the racks made like huge declines. But then one year later um, where they were able to look at that same like test subject, it made a big rebound plus. Um, so, you know, they, they told me that there was this one deer, uh, just to give a subject, um, a story, there was this one deer that was a really good buck. They were letting it get to a certain age, um, you know, before they wanted anyone to be able to shoot it. So they were saying, you know, this deer, you know, they were, they were, I don't know, are they focused on only shooting deer like seven and a half or older? Uh, I don't know enough about that to speak intelligently. Yeah, it's it's very well managed. So the opportunity at seeing upper end bucks is really cool, but the property was big enough to where it was, you know, it was really possible to do that. Nothing that I hunt in my home state is big enough. You know, anything I hunt can go three, four hundred yards, and it's on a different property. So it gets mm. really, really hard to manage age because i'm not a big property owner right and um someone someone made a post sometime that said hey how how you know how old is that how big is that deer or how old is that deer or something i just said i don't know i think it's four it has four legs um (laughs) so (laughs) i've always thought if this is a deer that i really enjoy i still enjoy hunting so if i was enjoying hunting and enjoying that opportunity i didn't want to miss up that you know miss that opportunity so i'm not a as much as people think so i'm not like big on i have to shoot a seven and a half year old deer or um because sometimes i'm with my wife we've been hunting four or five days and something cool really happened the buck came in made a scrape chase a doe around and what you know and like that moment is something that i want to seize so <laughs> it's got a short hair trying to, try yeah to, we've got trying to, trying someone's to trying to steal my off. cracker yeah. right now give me my cracker dang it yeah. i'm starving look at him point so b- before you get off that though why so i don't understand so um, it was a I think most people would associate property like that with hunting. Yeah. And I and again I don't know the exact amount of area they had allocated for it, but they have areas that are designated for research. Mm-hmm. The animals will breach death through an undisturbed life. Right. So they can they're tagged at birth so you can visibly identify what year it is, does, bucks. Right. They capture them in the helicopters every year, you know, they shoot the nets down, weigh, measure, all of that stuff. So they're getting data points on the growth and they're just right. totally unmolested just for research. So yeah, it's a research coolest, for yeah. um for Texas. Like Got a lot it. of the people that are trying to graduate in the biologist program. Like huge thousands of acres. Wow. I think it was 30, like the entire place is 35,000. 35,000 But acres. there's a big, deg- you know, designator to that, that they're f- hunting is forbidden in the state, I think. I'm probably getting this wrong. But the state um, takes part in just these big research, research studies where they go in, they 
like net things with helicopters and then they'll i think they put tape did you see they did that just so they know they had been grabbed yeah like wrap the rack with like orange mm. caution they, tape they drove me through this entire area which is miles and miles and miles and miles and miles you know you're driving for 20 25 minutes to get to these areas and they're like this has never been hunted it's never been hunted these we know these animals will be born and they will die of old age right and every single year we take you know studies of you know sometimes they put collars on them Mm -hmm. sometimes they just track horn growth or age um but so what's their average age like lifespan i don't really know i don't either i don't know i just know we were we were close to this and we were also part of a part of that property does hunting right um which you know there were hunters there before we were there and hunters as there after yeah. a, as we left um which was cool so you do have the opportunity of seeing something andy had an amazing hunt um my hunt was also great but i didn't get to see anything of that type of age you know the age of andy andy saw several bucks that were probably as mature in age as anything I would have ever saw right. in all of my years of like hunting my wow. home state of Iowa, which is pretty cool. But one of the things that was really fascinating about it too was we were in an area in Texas, which they call the Golden Triangle. Mm-hmm. So the soil type within the state has like been known to kind of manifest some of the, the biggest deer in Texas. Um, in a fair chase scenario. So it it was really, really cool to, to see Andy shot a buck where I'm like, man, this is a buck that's as big as something in Iowa because I hadn't hunted Texas in maybe 20 years. And when I, the last time I hunted Texas, I remember I was hunting with um, a guy that was close by a tournament at one time in January, there was an archery tournament for the Cabela's tour. And because I knew I was there, I had a Matthews dealer there. And this guy said, you should come hunt with me. I've got a place. So I went there and he told me, we really want to try to manage our, you know, the deer that we have. So he said, we want people to shoot a, a record book, like 125 inch or better deer. That's that's the only thing we're shooting and this was a for those of you listening it was a low fence operation too it wasn't a high fence operation um it was fair chase so i do want to stress that but um this buck came in this one morning and i saw it come in it was a 10 pointer and it looked bigger than anything i'd ever shot at the time i was probably 20 so i'm watching this thing come I waited, 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 finally got a shot. I shot it, and then when the landowner came and picked me up in the spline, he goes, did you see anything? I said, yeah, I shot this 10-pointer. And I and I had killed a lot of nice deer, so I told him this thing's 145 inches, big 10-point, massive G2s. It was like, you know, this far over his head, et cetera, et cetera. So we go on this track, and when we get to the deer – I looked at it and I said, that's that's not my deer. And he goes, well, we've been on the blood 
for like 20 yards past this blind i'm pretty sure yeah this is your deer and i'm like man he looked and i looked and i said yeah that is him but he was maybe 115 he was just so much smaller but the body you know i'm used to looking at body sizes that are 250 and this deer was like 120 pounds Mm. just because the deer overall was so much smaller in that part of texas that it was all proportion and scale so you know i just seen this rack compared to the body size and it was the first time i ever really had ground shrinkage where i got up to it and realized this deer is much smaller than what i you know i would have bet everything i shot a 140 inch deer and it wasn't any anywhere close whereas these deer where we were at for whatever reason you know, they're, the moisture down there, the soil type, the mineral type, they were just really healthy, full-body deer that looked a lot like what I hunt in Texas, which or um, Iowa, which was surprising for Texas because I've hunted, I've hunted the hill country, I've hunted uh, there by Abilene, I've hunted the far south before too for turkeys and things, so I've encountered deer and things like that. But this was a really, you know, mature, full, full body deer. So it was pretty cool to see it. I mean, it was really, really fun. So you said something earlier. <clears throat> they didn't want to take anything that was less than a seven, seven and a half years. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Why is seven and a half years the magic, magic line? I'm not the best to ask because I'm not, like I said, I'm not, yeah. I'm not a score person and I'm not that big on you know i really enjoy hunting in the moment you know there's times where i've been with someone that's never hunted and you know i'm not if andy wanted to shoot a a spike i'd be like hey dude you know if we were some one of my spots in iowa i'd be like well we could definitely do better right you know if if we wait long enough but if this is totally doing it for you then like, I still want you to have fun in archery. Mm-hmm. You know, when when um, Rogan drew an Iowa tag and came hunting with me, you know, he shot a deer that no most Iowa residents wouldn't consider, like, a big deer according to the rack. But when it came in and I said, I, you know, man, I think we can do better, he goes, he kind of just stopped me. He's like, I don't want to keep passing up deer like this, you know, this is a good deer for me and i said yeah but he's got a like a main tine is broke off and stuff he goes dude i would rather shoot a fighter than anything like you know this buck like to me he's proved he's like fought for his right to walk around this stuff he goes for me that's the perfect you know that is a trophy and i'm like take that thing draw back yeah (laughs) take that thing because I, I just think it's important that people still thrive for that because I want that for Sharon or Harry. If I'm hunting with them, I don't want to say, no, you can't, sh- you know, you can't shoot that. You know, I think it's important that we still enjoy the foundation of hunting, which is being, you know, having fun. But every now and then I do like to go to that extreme side. For example, um, Sometimes I go and do some things with um, Lee Lakoski. He's a big whitetail hunter. You know, him and Tiffany have a really 
popular TV show. It's, they shoot big, big animals. He's adamant about age and things like that, but they also have the ability to manage properties that are of size to where right. that can happen. You know, most years where I hunt and where I have permission to hunt, um, for example, one year I went to, I think it was two days after gun season opened, I went to my neighbor's barn and there was like, I think 18 bucks hanging in it. Hmm. And it's like, and obviously several of them were bucks that I had encountered and let pass. And for me, it clicked, like that's when it clicked of, if you're enjoying the hunt and that's and it's something that you really really like you don't have a lot of control on whether or not that thing lives at right. least in my element you know I wish I wish if I had that ability I would I would love things to become full of age but I think people that are getting permission on property people that are hunting public land people that are knocking on doors and you know some grandma saying yeah go ahead and go and she's got like four acres you're gonna not have fun in archery if all you're wanting to do you know unless you've got to a point where you don't want to put something on your wall that's smaller than what you've already shot but if you still really enjoy it take advantage of the moment you know maybe i'm wrong but that's how i feel <clears throat> well what's the way so for a guy you know looking at a whitetail saying hey you know what I'm going to try to guess its age. Like, how are you doing that? Or do you even take a look at it other than, are you only looking at size and kind of looking at size and rack and a few of these other things? Are you looking at it saying, yeah, that's five, six, seven years. Are you looking at it and even putting age in as a factor past spike? Well, there's a fine line there, but where you can't totally be certain. You right. know, I, I've often said, I've been on track jobs or I've been in the timber just looking at sign and people are like, whoa, look at, you know, look at that track that this is a big deer. This is a, yeah, this sucker is huge. It's a Boone and Crockett deer. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, some people have big feet. Some people have small feet, right. you know, some, some things, some bucks are heavier. Some aren't, you know, some, it, maybe the ground was wet when he walked by and right. made a deeper imprint, you know, so I don't really feel like you can judge them that way, but when a really, really mature whitetail comes in, you do notice the fact their necks are bigger. They start to get like a little sway in their back. You know, their bellies are more developed, and I don't know. They just look more mature even in the face. Mm -hmm. you know? I heard them talking about their ears drooping too. Yeah. and Their ears their ears are true like once they really start to get aged oh, they almost yeah. start to hang i i talked to the biologist about that because yeah. in iowa we don't see it as much but our like buck to doe ratio isn't as close as it is down here and some of the deer that we saw had like one ear that was fine and mm -hmm. one that was drooping. I saw quite a few like that actually. And so I told them, I said, have you ever just thought of the fact that maybe because your your buck ratio is so, like your density is high, that they're fighting and, and breaking the cartilage in their ears? Mm. Yeah. That's, I mean, that would be my argument. I don't know if that's right. Um, because I've, I have shot old deer before in 
you know, in my home state and they, they don't necessarily have like really droopy ears. So, hmm. you know, some, I saw one where he had like one ear that was up and one that was drooping. And I'm like, well, they're just fighting so much where the density is higher to where they're, you know, they're maybe breaking the cartilage in their ear where it's just not working and it, and it droops down. But you can normally see the, um, the more mature deer down here in Texas, because you can, it's different than Iowa um, because you can see a long way because there's not like big hardwoods. Right. You know, the foliage is so much lower to the ground. You can see deer in the cactus and, and stuff. And then in the mesquites, you can kind of see things, especially if you're in a little bit of an elevated position. You're in a tree stand in a creek bottom. It's cool. And, you know, you can see more country, which is kind of neat. Um but I don't know. I think I d- I don't know. I just heard him talking about it mm-hmm. as one of the factors that they were looking at. Well, the ones that were mature, especially right now during the rut, the ones that were older deer, you you know they well, the biologist told me he said you can see that they're like they have like wet hocks, mm-hmm. and so in the rut when they're peeing on their rear hocks between their legs, you know it's dark. It's like a dark urine, so right. they almost have way darker stains on the back of their legs too. So, and sometimes the color, you know, a younger buck just isn't as dark of a gray. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's an absolute. I think it's, you know, it's a factor, but not an absolute. You have to, if you get good at it. For me at home, how I know age of the deer that i'm seeing is because i collect data with my trail cameras with i use stealth cams right so a lot of the the horn characteristics will remain the same so um and one thing i want to say about this podcast what's cool is evan is new to archery obviously you um for those of you don't know evan has black rifle coffee company um, I haven't really asked you how that whole thing started, which I probably should, but you're really getting into archery now. We did, um, a seminar in San Diego. It was in July. We were mm-hmm. all down there. Yeah. And so you've been working with the silverback and, you know, I think one thing's going to lead to another. Now we're talking about, uh, doing a pretty cool hunt. I won't like mm. spoil it, but, yeah. um, we're going to do a cool hunt and, you know, I guess what's your, let's kind of back up. What interests you in like your first bow hunt? What would be of interest and maybe what, what have you done as an archer that like really, I don't know, kind of turned your gears and makes you, because obviously you have access to the coolest guns period. So this is, this is a different realm, especially given your background yeah, I'll answer the the last question first, which is, I like shooting things. Like I, when I say I like shooting, I like shooting rifles. I like shooting slingshots. I like anything yeah. and everything that that a that rubber band. Yeah, if fucking, we were all in here with a rubber it, band and yeah, be like, it, hey, it, you jump in. It doesn't matter. Like I just mm-hmm. like I like hitting targets with things. Projectiles. It yeah, it's you know it could be skee ball I, I don't care like i don't i <laughs> yes. don't care i don't like i don't discriminate whatsoever three man water balloon launchers <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> like so and 
I've shot a substantial amount comparatively, right? Mm-hmm. To, to 99% of the, the rest of the people in the world, I would imagine, whether that's pistol or rifle. I really love shooting. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, like I said, I love anything that goes, goes bang or whip or anything. Um, with archery, I first started shooting because I wanted to hit a target within my my roaster my first roaster because i, I couldn't shoot it was like i i can't go out to the range roaster the meaning his to. big like, actual coffee, yeah, roaster, coffee roaster within yeah. a building that <laughs> yeah. he was <laughs> yeah roasting <laughs> yeah and um and i started with a traditional bow because um the penetration technology yeah oh of the compound was kind of overwhelming really it was mm-hmm. like dude you got to know a ton of different things and there's you you got to know maintenance and all there's there's a ton of shit that you got to know and uh, traditional was one of those things where dude i can i can figure out exactly how to do this and do it every time and and uh and i can hit a target with that and i can do it within a safe space and do it safe every day if i want to yep and it doesn't go bang. It doesn't cost me additional money when I, you know, shoot it all up. So I can do it every day, all day long if I want to. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really get into it with the idea that I was going to go hunt mm-hmm. with, with a bow. I really didn't. Um, so you and Andy both are like similar that way, <laughs> which I, is kind of interesting given your background. Well, I just figured if I was going to kill something, I was going to kill something with a, a rifle because mm-hmm. it's, it, I it's could, what you know yeah, yeah. i could do it and uh i don't get <clears throat> because of the sh- amount of shooting that i've done and my previous profession I, I don't have a lot of the anxiety issues that i think a lot of other hunters would um because i've hunted and i wouldn't say a lot but enough to know even in my adult life post-military that you know i'll be sitting with four or five guys and you know they're <laughs> they're like they're so excited about this and i'm like yeah this is, you know, shoot that thing over there and <laughs> we're gonna walk over and butcher it and get it out here you know it, so for me i liked the shooting aspect of it then <clears throat> the when i started thinking about when i might say transitioning over into a compound um i started talking to a few different people that were were really big into archery and they were like you'll love this because of the precision, like you'll get away from this and you'll be able to hit exactly what, or, you know, given the amount of repetition and practice, you'll be able to hit this every yeah. time. And, uh, <clears throat> but I didn't have the time necessarily to dedicate to it. And, um, so once the time freed up, I was like, well, this is a great, great time to, to actually start doing this. Plus we had moved. So I moved out of my little warehouse and I moved into of my three and a half acre space in Salt Lake City, so I could build a range, mm-hmm. I could build a bow range back there. So I changed locations. I had a little bit more space. I could build a bow range. So I was like, okay, great. It's time to you know get a compound. And actually, Richard gave me a bear, uh, a bow that mm-hmm. he had. And the reason that he gave it to me was, <clears throat> I had walked into his office, and uh, I was checking out. He had two bears on his wall and I pulled one down and uh, I made the worst mistake possible. I know where this is going. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I pulled back 
whang, and it <laughs> blasted the cans off of it. <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, well, it looks like you own that now. And uh, so... Welcome to compound archery. Yeah, welcome That's to compound archery. That's what's called archery. a dry fire. He, uh, so at that point... I, I offered to buy the bow from him because like I ruined this thing for you, dude. So now I'm now I own a compound bow. But now you're an archer. Yeah. So that that was my entry into this was basically a fundamental mistake, wanting to hit be wanting to hit targets. But really, I like I like the adventure. So I like to I like to eat wild game. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another company. I don't I don't know if a lot of people know this. So I have a whitewater guiding and rafting company that's in the most remote wilderness area in the lower 48 in the frank church wilderness area um so i've been a guide for my most of my adult life as a part-time job as like andy knows like having 12 jobs is pretty much normal Mm -hmm. and uh, i really like running big water Mm -hmm. um you know complex rivers under big water and tough conditions and i like the entire logistics involved in that Mm -hmm. i love it and so adding additional layer to that of adventure, which is outside of a rifle, adding a compound bow to that adventure just seems like a natural progression because you get a little bit more intimacy with the entire event in my mind, right? Yeah. And uh, so that was kind of the whole lead in, which was I love spending time in the most remote wilderness areas. Yep. I, I love like that's. When I push off and I'm gone for, you know, a week or two or however long, and there's nothing but a sat phone that separates me from, you know, civilized world, I feel really great about my circumstance. And if there's a really complex uh, uh, river to run or a piece of terrain that you have to navigate through, it's even better because now you have complex problem-solving which was we talked about that yeah. earlier with your skill set and your ability to navigate something that is truly wild and it's yep. really you know thinking you're, on your feet yeah and and you're forced into a very condensed time frame mm-hmm. that's why I like rivers so much is because you're forced into this condensed time frame but you have to plan your logistics accordingly you have to train you have to do all of these things and if you're doing everything right you can still lose yeah because you're at the natural whim of the river. Yeah. So even if you do everything right, you can still punch that thing up on a rock and roll it over and get get wet. It's yeah. the same, you know, it is what it is. So that that was my lead into this. Which is I like adventure. I'm getting to the point in my life now where I can take more time and get plugged back into those types of circumstances. And you recognize that archery was so different than your day-to-day that it kind of gave you an escape so to speak yeah it's well shooting for me uh it's so so much part of my life and i don't want to say i'm bored with it because there's always more that you can do there's Mm -hmm. always more that you can explore but i'm starting new over here with archery yep like i'm i'm a newbie i don't I, i admittedly i'm not very good and i like that feeling I like that feeling a lot because it means that I have a, I have, you know, 90% to learn versus trying to optimize that last 10%, yeah. that last 3%. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of fun. That, that 90% where you're working your way through this, this like Goliath of a project from the ground up is like 
super interesting to me. And progression is constant Mm -hmm. when you're, you know, especially when you're first tackling something. I think some personality types, which I I think in many ways, the three of us are very comparable. I remember the hardest part for me when Sharon and I were in the process of getting her immigrated to the U.S., when I would go to England for long periods of time, it w- wasn't easy to shoot because we were in Liverpool. You know, the only place I could shoot was really in our, like, between our kitchen and our living room. There wasn't, you know, you didn't have, like, yards. They would call it a garden, but it was really not much bigger than most people's garages, but it just had, like, a 20 by 20 piece of grass on it right. that you could mow with an electric mower. And, that was that was it and i started to go crazy because i had to have something to train for i mean i was losing my mind because i always was i always was practicing for a sport preparing for a game preparing for a match and then when my competitive shooting somewhat slowed and then i'm there you know, trying to do my consulting work from essentially through the internet. And then I'm at this residence, you know, which was Sharon's while Sharon's working and we're, you know, we're, we're stuck in the protocol of waiting for, waiting for someone in immigration to sign papers that allowed us to come back to the U S and I didn't want to not see my fiance. So I was there and I remember I had to go, I bought a used bike from a friend of Sharon's and then I went to, uh, it would be equivalent to like a YMCA and went and met with a swimming instructor to learn how to swim better because I said, I've got a, I saw a sign for like a half triathlon right. and I said, I have no interest in really doing this, but I have to, I need to get up and then know this is part of I had to have a routine. I had to have something to train for. And because I wasn't, wasn't a, I mean, I could swim, but I wasn't good at swimming and I wasn't efficient enough to swim a mile in the water. And from a biking point of view, did I ever bike? Yes. But did I ever bike like whatever it was? You know, I don't even know what it was. 25, 50 miles. I can't even remember. I had to do that too, but I wasn't really efficient. You know, I'd ever only jumped on my, you know, dino or mongoose and freaking cruise across town to see my buddies and right. you know burn gi joes in the woods or whatever i did so <laughs> you know well you know it's more like firecrackers and bullfrogs or whatever right. it was and i had to have something to train for and and once i started doing that i really enjoyed it because it was such a break from it was nice because it was break from what was kind of my profession Mm -hmm. which like this weekend um for those of you listening it's not totally archery related obviously um but andy was cool enough to give me some training for the first time with a long range rifle that he had you know he's got this really cool it's a falcor falcor petra 300 mag falcor petra 300 wind mag which i don't know it's probably equivalent to me you know, telling Evan, hey, you're going to get into target shooting. I'm going to set you up with a, uh, 
you know, I'm probably going to set you up with like a Prevail 38 with X10s. I'm going to cut an inch and a half off the back, put a 175 shield cut on the front with a 200 tungsten. Is that cool? You know, I'm saying, yeah, that sounds awesome. Okay. Yeah, it'll yeah. be good. It's like sounds 205 cool. tungsten yeah. would be better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was fun, though, because I knew nothing about it. And I was watching Andy shoot this steel silhouette at, you know, 700 plus yards. And it was obvious how he laid behind the rifle, how he, you know, addressed that rifle, how he, you know, took his posture, you know, and then lined up on the scope, checked things, how he changed his breath, and then executed the shot. I was like, whoa, this is... This is probably, even though it's not my forte, it's this is something that's very technical, mm-hmm. and it's going to take a learning curve. And if I wanted to do that, I'll, you know, it, it was a challenge, even at a different level. It was really, really fun, and I think it's fun because eighty or ninety percent of my day is always just archery, 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 right. archery, where I did need a little bit of a break. So I'm kind of polar opposite of you, whereas you're coming into this field for the first time essentially as R and R, which is what um Arnold Schwarzenegger did. You know, he shot archery. Did you oh, know really? that? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Him him and Frank Zane used to shoot at um Santa Monica High School. After they trained at Gold's Gym, they would go there and shoot in the afternoons as like part of an R&R because it was so different than bodybuilding. It was like this very finesse, zen type thing versus, you know, deadlifting 700 pounds or whatever they were doing. Um, So there's definitely therapy to it, and I think there's therapy to anything that has... mm, finesse and skill involved where you have to learn and and grow and apply technicality um how how do you relate the two when it the principles like i've sat through enough of your archery classes where you talk about from the ground up right the foundation yeah yeah yeah. the posture you sat through when you sat through a um seminar too and did you sit through the whole thing i did yeah and it's very similar you know stance grip yeah. Side alignment, side picture. Looking through the pin, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. and I think long range shooting will be, it'll be easier for you to master because you're not under tension. Right. Like when I was talking with Matt today, you know, and it's, I mean, cause I see it in my own pins, like you'll start doing something wrong and like, ah, I'm shaking. <laughs> cause you're, you're trying to be smooth and calm, but you're holding back a load. I mean, yeah. it's a high oh. load off or a high let off, yep. but you're still you're still trying to do all the things that you're teaching under a load. Yep. Whereas when you're behind a powerful rifle, you're laying down. Yeah. Like you shouldn't feel tension anywhere. Anywhere. You want to get set. So like I was telling you, you know, before I'll take a long shot, I'll line up and I'll close my eyes and I'll take a breath and I'll go through my breathing cycle and open my eyes. And if I have to hold tension to get it to where I want, I just move and I repeat that cycle. So I'm literally completely relaxed until I go with my finger and that's right. it and and you'll master that because you understand breathing you're obviously good in pressure situations from all the competition and all the hunting it's yeah you're, you're well well i mean 
here's a perfect it, example. He shot five rounds, only at the 700 yard target. Right. We went back, um, and discovered that there were deer eating in the grass across the pond at about 550. So we of course assumed a high ground position because it's tactically what you're going <laughs> to do. He picked up a bolt action 300 wind mag that he had never touched. One of our hosts' gun. And we get up there, and we get him all locked in there, and uh, we do kind of a command fire shot. On yeah, spoiler alert, I shot my first <laughs> deer with a rifle. <laughs> <laughs> and dumps it for a shot at 550. And then he, uh, like, there was a coyote, you know, which is not a large animal, but they're, right. they're a, 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 would it be a considered a nuisance animal in the, yeah, the predator, yeah, predator, predator animal? At what was that, five and change as well? I think, it, yeah, I thought it was 570 or something. I don't know. That's a small target to hit. If, you know, 600 yards is a really long shot for yeah. a lot of people, and mm-hmm. he's having success already, right. and, and I understand where it comes from because it's 90% of the same principles. Right. And then take away, you're not holding on to anything. Ah. <sighs> get Grab a beanbag if you want to. Squeeze that thing. Like, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, yeah. there's so many ways, and you'll just get so locked in, and uh, yeah, you'll do great at it for sure. Do you think I was – do you think that someone who learns an archery shot the way I teach and who really starts to embrace like a silverback release, if that was what they did first, like someone, well, for me, I shot guns a little bit. Mm-hmm. I enjoy, you know, I carry, I carry a gun. I have a pistol. I shoot it. I've shot it enough to know where it hits. And if I ever had to defend myself, I'm confident in it. But I don't know a lot about it. But I do know that I do not feel anxiety or anticipation with those with those shots. Funny enough, his gun was brand new, so I know he told me he never he never like I didn't have any lube in it. There was oh, yeah. no lube, no right. oil or anything yeah. in it. It was brand new. And so it had some uh, failure to feeds back to right. back. And you, I mean, how many times have you seen on the range, you throw a dummy round in a magazine. Right. Guys just doing, you know, just steal a tink, 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 and you get a dummy round in there. Yeah. And like yeah. the yeah. barrel is just diving because they're getting away with the anticipation. It's showing a flinch. Yeah. I mean, and I can see it when people shoot handheld releases or trigger releases. I can see when they anticipate. And with archery, you can... Some people think that they can hide it. If you're good enough at it, you realize there's fractions of a second where you can see it's forced, and then they execute a really cool follow through to oh, where it like right. it. They think they're hiding it, but if you're good enough, you can recognize the fact. No, you punched the trigger, but then made it look like it was a dynamic shot. Well, if you were going to ask, do I think that that learning the back tension release would help when it comes to shooting? My answer, in my opinion, would be yes, because they would understand the philosophy behind a surprise break of a shot. Which, yeah. you think you could be better? Um, I think you would get better faster because, and you have to define a surprise shot. It's not ah, my gun went off. It's <laughs> yeah. it's not that. Yeah. You know that the gun is going to fire. You just don't know exactly when because you're slowly and evenly continuing to apply pressure until it goes off at a moment that doesn't shock you, but you can't exactly 
forecast when it's going to be. And if you can do that, it drastically increases your accuracy. Yeah. If you understand that, and that works for pistol and rifle. Right. Okay. If you can do that and understand that concept with the silverback, yes. Well, you, yeah, the, the silverback, the, like that's that that makes perfect sense. It's because your pin's moving around, about. right? And you and you, there's ways where you could go. It's, huh. it's literally exactly yeah. like, you know. Pull, 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 and you don't you don't know when it's going to break. You're just pulling. Whether that trigger back. moves two inches or whether it moves a quarter inch, it really won't matter as long as matter. you're just going through the process till it happens. And while you're looking yeah. down through the optic, yeah. mm -hmm. your sight is going yeah. to be moving. And yep. if you fixate on that and you try to go and yeah. now, that's when people anticipate. Right. So it's the same thing as when you tell people in archery, like when you know uh, we were shooting today from sixty or seventy, you were telling Matt like. Your pin's going to move. Accept the fact that your pin is going to move and focus on the execution. There's nothing that changes in that when it comes to rifle or pistol. Right. And if you can embrace that concept, I'm not, I don't know if it'll make you better, but you will certainly get better faster. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I don't feel any stress factor at all um, with the gun. And I think it's just because I've learned patience on a on a, on a bow release. Yeah. And I've never seen a steadier sight picture as what I've see. You know, when we're in a, especially you taught me posture and form. And, yep. Uh, it's pretty cool. You know, putting a sandbag like under the. Uh, the buttstock. Yeah, under the buttstock, and he was talking about you know being able to squeeze that. You know, if you squeeze it, it raises right. the buttstock, lowers the pin, or if you let off on it. And then, when you're in that position. For me, based off of what I've always seen through my bow scope, I was. <laughs> oh my I god, mean, we I'm were the best rifleman ever. Yeah. yeah, we were at 700 and whatever. Oh, and mind you, it was 30 to 50 knot winds right. while we were yeah, shooting. Yeah, it was this. 30 to 50 mile an hour. Like, it wasn't quite a cross wind. It was. Like, I give it a quarter value. Quarter value. Yeah. Whatever that means. Um, full value is like directly perpendicular. Like a full horizontal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was like a quarter. It'll have value. a ballistic effect and it drift on your. Yeah, uh, it did for sure. But mm -hmm. if it had rotated all the way up and was ninety, you'd be holding a full silhouette off of the silhouette to hit dead center. The wind was blowing so hard when you were standing up, it would rip your hat off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But when when I was in the prone position, just seeing that that movement, I was telling him like, dude, I'm within the silhouette with my movement the entire process. To me. If I were, you know, I, if my bow reached that far, I would totally <laughs> take those shots and right. practice. I'd be like, hey, watch this, <laughs> right. watch this seven go down. And I would be probably moving five, six feet right of the target, you know, moving back and forth, back and forth on a, cal a perfectly calm situation. But I would still just be like, okay, that's normal. Right. I'm just going to pull through, pull through, you know, my subconscious returning back to center. I'm just, just keep pulling just stay committed to the shot until it happens whether it's quick or whether it's slow i i kind of was sitting there thinking i wonder if they in the military if they taught people like the archery concept mm -hmm. just just so that it was almost like a, a reinforcement aspect mm -hmm. to like hey dude here you're accurate with the bow when you do it this way if you try to just lock in and then hit the trigger 
your groups, even though you think you're steadier and you're right on, your groups start to open up. Right. And if someone realize, oh, okay, like Andy, you know, Andy does, you do, you're shooting a silverback. Matt was a little bit more green. I wish we would have had a silverback for me to, you know, I, I almost wish Matt would have started from the very beginning with the silverback to where he wouldn't have had a trigger release as his start because he was anticipating his, you know, his knock to it. Well, he was, was kind he of closing his hand. He was firing it with his thumb, right? He was hitting it with his thumb. Yeah, he would just, you know, I could see when he knew he was there, he was hitting it. And then I would say, okay, stop, you know, before you put your arm down, where are you? And his release hand would never, you know, wouldn't be like away from his face. Oh, you know, you could yeah. tell when he shot, he wasn't pulling dynamic wasn't enough dynamic. to where there was a natural follow through. <clears throat> and he he would look at me and I'd say, and most of the time where he did that, it wouldn't be where he thought the arrow would go. But then once he started doing it the right way, he's like, man, that makes such a difference. And it's embracing that movement. And I think if you were a gun hunter, well, if you're a gun hunter starting archery, which hopefully, you know, I, I think I'll probably designate this podcast as one where it's like, you know, if you're a gun hunter thinking about archery, this would be a great one to listen to. You have to, that's going to be a big learning curve for you as you can't, because you're on the target, just hit the trigger. Yeah. I don't, there's there's certainly times where it's going to hit, but for whatever reason, you know, and I'm not a physics major to where I could tell you, but with archery, the more you embrace that floating movement mm. and just commit to the shot, even if the movement's happening, it goes in the it goes in the middle huh. when you execute it right. correctly. Well, and that feels super counterintuitive, by the way. <laughs> like, I like tell myself really that as I'm slowly falling out of my peep, holding my breath, <laughs> and losing consciousness. Yeah, Evan is the master of holding oh, yeah. his breath till he's almost Good. dead. I disagree. He can do much better. Yeah, I think I, I'm going to, with practice. B minus. With, with practice, practice, you will faint. Yeah. With B, at full you're draw. at B minus right now. You yeah. could easily hold it for another 30 seconds at full draw. <laughs> hey. Practice makes perfect. You know? like I, I start doing my breathing exercises. I think that the one thing that you guys identified that I hadn't thought of, and I'm ashamed to even admit that I haven't thought of it this way, is a rifle and the trigger is here, right? Yep. And that's so. And he's, but you're, and he's using his index, index finger. And you're, you know, you're, but, you know, with a bow, you're using your scapula instead. Yeah. So I think you, you have to say your finger is here. So follow through with the shot because Oh, for a gun shooter, hunter, yes. you tell them that their finger is actually their their rhomboid that's yes. that's the cause of the elbow that's all pulling you're, through. That's all you're doing is moving yeah. the finger movement and like, okay, how, how you apply that pressure with your finger you touch that muscle and yes. say, use this muscle. Use this. And just like when I was telling that's you, a, a when you're shooting a rifle, it just in general, but specifically long range, the last thing you want to do is pull until it goes off and slam your finger yeah. forward. You, I mean, I'll hold it back for five, six, seven seconds and then click. You'll hear it reset because I'm following through the shot. 
Same principle. Maybe if I have a, a person that's just really a, a gun-oriented person that's learning archery, maybe it's worth almost putting my hand right at the back of their the tip of their elbow and say, pretend this is your your trigger. Continually pull that elbow yes. back here. And pretend the elbow is your, your index finger yes. tip pulling against my hand which is the trigger yes slowly pull it just the same as what you would pull through that would be a helpful. precision rifle and then just boom you know and that way they're not thinking about the hand or the thumb they're thinking about the the let you know the tip of the elbow right. being their index finger pushing against that trigger you know pushing against it pushing against it pushing against boom the then the, the surprise break happens slowly and smoothly yes. yeah because once you guys, this conversation was the first time that I thought about it like that, and it was like a light bulb went on. Yeah. I was like, that that makes so much more sense because I'm thinking of it as a as a shooter, and my follow through is on yep. my is my thumb, right? Well, especially with the knock to it. Yeah. Like my follow through, I'm following through with my thumb, and I'm holding right. Mm -hmm. But that's absolutely not where I should be following through. But I'm translating. You're trying to into make here. a translation for what you're familiar with. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I want to stress that part of the reason why, and I've told you this since me, you, and Trevor were hanging out. I said, I want to learn your guys' craft just because so many people are transitioning into archery or bow hunting that were past military guys. And I want to be a better teacher I want to be able to give them some type of paralleling reference to where they get it like that. Right. So I want to learn that craft just so that I can be a better instructor when I'm dealing with someone that that's what they're familiar with. I did the same thing with recurve archery for one year. I stopped shooting compound and I only shot Olympic style recurve shooting because there was always a few people in my seminars that were there because they wanted the instruction, but they also were saying, so, you know, how, how can we apply this to recurve archery? But because I had never done it, I knew certain form and foundation aspects would certainly be the same, but because I was using fingers and a recurve and pulling through this clicker until I, you know, until the click happened and I would let, let go. It was, um, I didn't really totally know their answers, but I thought, you know, if I do it, I might not be a good recurve shooter, but I could say, okay, for you, it feels like this right now. I'm talking about this, but make this little mod, like make this little modification. Right. And then you can apply it. You know, it's not, it's not a major difference. It's just a slight modification to where it, you know, for your small variation, it's going to, it's going to work. And then for, you know, for the first time ever in my seminars, recurve shooters were like, thanks. I, you know, I picked up a few things where I can go and work on this a hundred percent because you were able to tell me a few little things that related to the differences between compound and recurve. So that's why I really want to learn, you know, the gun aspect for when I have this person's like, Hey, I've, I've been gun hunting forever and I feel like I'm 
really good with a with a rifle or I love you know there's a lot of uh there's a lot of like police and yeah you know mm-hmm. tactical guys that are coming over that spend more repetitions you know doing like handgun training and all this stuff but they want to do archery because they either want to extend their season or they want a little bit more of a challenge a little bit more you know up close and personal type stuff or you know for like elk rut if in a lot of places if you're a gun hunter you don't get to experience the elk rut because it's already happened once gun season opens so i think once bow hunters you know once someone tries bow hunting and they go out there and get to be there when the elk are responding to calls you know they're screaming in front of you you get to see the, you know the whole breeding process like it's a comp- it's a whole new adrenaline charge and i know there's some people that want to experience that so that's the only reason they take up bow hunting and i want to be able to say here's the things that are going to help you make the two you know, under both of these two differences, more under, understandable is like, you know, a similarity, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense to me. Yeah, and I, <clears throat> that's interesting because you said all of those things, and, I, and I, it's just been in the last, we'll call it, <clears throat> year where I'm like, oh, yeah, those things are open too, because I had all the previous reasons that we listed earlier, and I was like, no, but those are incredible reasons as well. Like, Oh, you're so right. I get to experience this and I get to do this and it just becomes more interesting. Um, so beyond the fact that you get to learn something new, you also get to experience something completely different at another level. And, um, it's, it's very exciting. It's the other thing, CrossFit, which is, I know it's kind of a crazy parallel, but because of the, the rise in Olympic lifting in our community, we had a ton of guys that were we were really into in your community meaning the like, the special operations community prior yeah. to they we had a ton of guys that were really into olympic lifting and it was really good as an instructor because you could use parallels in olympic lifting and how small nuances yep. to your form would make really big differences in being able to lift more weight and you could make that direct translation from these tiny little form adjustments that you would make that would seem insignificant from the outside. But you could directly translate that to a reduction in split times and a bunch of other things on the range. And then we took things from golf, which was um, like the slow-mo camera uh, coach's eye. So we're taking things from like, you know, golf and plugging them in from like coach's eye and then using Olympic lifting analogies and, and being able to, to translate form. So we could put those two things together for the guy on the range and go, this is what you're doing. But if you make just a subtle change in your grip posture, a little bit of strength here, you know, pushed into the pistol, I'm going to be able to drop your split times from, you know, a quarter of a second to you know 0.15 of a second on a zone and we'll be able to do that in a matter of like like just like that yeah and then it would click for them right just like the light went on they're like oh fuck i got it man like you just dropped my time sorry i didn't just like the light went on yeah for matt today yeah he was like oh Okay. Oh, <laughs> what was it oh, that did it. it? I remember when he said that, but I didn't. The pull, t- it pulling through pulling instead of through. using it as a trigger. 
locking the thumb in place and firing it with the appropriate muscles. Yeah. Yeah. And and he also didn't realize that with a gun you know you're you're kind of settling in, getting your cheek on there. I mean, you're not floating. Mm-hmm. You know, you're kind of I would say you're like locking into the gun a little bit more. Yep. But you need to have the same cheek wall every time. Yeah, every time. Repeatable. But having obviously you don't want too much facial pressure to where the gun's moving. But I think in archery, the facial pressure is much much lighter than what you're doing with a gun, especially if you're used to shooting a gun that like gives a tremendous amount of feedback. Right. You know, if you're if you're kind of loosey goosey in there you're going to pay the price right with it so you know i was having to, to tell him hey man if you feel the string it's enough right you know if you barely feel the string on the corner of the mouth tip of the nose and front sight rear sight acquisition i think is critical especially for you guys when you're shooting like multiple pins you know i once i told him frame the same every time front sight and the front sight the front scope you know ring there has to be a perfect eclipse just like when you're looking through a scope you know if your scope um you know i guess i don't know if you'd call it the scope image but you know if your eye relief is off and your head position is up or down or left or right you're not getting what do you call the full you know, the full image. You'll develop this. parallax. Yeah. Like, and because you're looking through lenses, you know, and all this stuff has to line up. And if your face is too close, you're going to get black or, you know, what I mean? or you'll, it'll be too full. And if it's too far away, you're going to get like a black circle around it. It's, it's the same thing. You have to get the same image every single time framed correctly. Yeah. With archery though, you want to, you want to anchor first so that it's, you know, you're in the same position, but then you want to, adjust your head just enough to where you're getting the front sight, rear sight, you know, acquisition in a perfect eclipse, but without increasing pressure on the string or pressure on the arrow. And once I told Matt, like, that's enough, that's enough. You know, he would, he would anchor and then he'd start to get his face in there and it'd be like plenty, you know, as long as you're having that perfect eclipse in front sight, rear sight, you don't have to embed your face onto the string or get it close to the arrow. And I showed him on a few of his arrows, you could see where the vein was kind of slightly altered in the shape. And you could see where it had been dragging something. And I said, that's where you used to push that arrow on your chin, the vein on your chin. Oh, right. So um, I don't have my phone in here, but, I took a few pictures of when he was doing it right, and I showed him. I said, see how you have perfect clearance with this arrow. There is there is a, a small gap between, you know, the arrow shaft and the vein and your chin. And I said, but when you try to, like, crunch in there and lock in there, now you're contacting that. And so I, you know, I held an arrow up in the air with my finger. I held the arrow right in the center of the arrow on my finger. And I said, push, push on this side of the back of the arrow, just push on it a little bit. Right. So he touched it a little bit. And I said, how much did that move the front of the arrow? And he's like, Oh yeah, I get it. Right. So I said, okay, well when you 
push on that arrow one time, but not another time. Now you have two completely different directions right. that you're making that arrow, you know, go once it's projected out of the bow. And he shot, well, all of you guys, I mean, Andy's been shooting longer, but at the end of the day, we had kind of a fun shoot where you guys were shooting closest to center on a coffee bag. And, you know, you guys are shooting, how wide is the bag? Four inches? Yeah. And, well, probably from the, we were shooting at the AK-47 logo in the center to the bottom edge of the bag, I would say it was probably four inches maybe. Yeah. So the, the logo is three and a half inches. So you've got a quarter of an inch on each side of the bag or close three quarters. Um, so then you've got the other portion of the logo. So it's but literally not you, a lot. You, Andy, Matt, Andy centered it. So yeah. we settled that. Seals. Navy Seal. Seal. Yeah, yeah, seals beat army. About a seal. Oh yeah, that's right. You're I'm not. Tired. No, I'm tired. Oh, okay. But well, yeah, seals definitely beat army. I mean, just to <laughs> answer that question, seals, <laughs> seals definitely beat army. <laughs> <laughs> Wrote a book about it. Multiple. No. Yes. No shit. There I was. <laughs> there I was. I was in this driveway, and it was me and two army guys <laughs> shooting at a bag of coffee. Yep. I think there's a lot there, though. I think. But all you guys had a group between the three of you. I, would you say the size of a co uh, Coke can? Um, the second group. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's 10 years ago. People would be like, what? You made a shooting at a coffee bag at 60 yards? You know, archery worlds came a long way since right. then. But to me, that's still impressive. That's still something that people should realize that's really really good but it also shows what you're capable of with a bow do you think do you think most people could do that if they did a day of um freehand rifle like if you gave them a rifle with freehand do you think they standing could mean yep mm. at 70 yards yeah where you it depend on i would say it depend on what they're looking through yeah it would depend on what they're looking through if they're just looking through an eotech well, keep in mind, yeah. you have a no-power magnification. You have yeah, a single pin. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're looking iron sights, one day of training, a, we'll call it, what, a four-inch group, right? Yeah. Uh, that'd be tough. I think it'd be, it would obviously depend on the instructor. Let's just say right? it's comparable. Yeah. So, yeah. very. In a full day of, you know, and not even a full day, I would say in 50 arrows of us yeah. all working, you guys are able to, you know, three guys on completely different um, time-invested skill levels because, obviously, Andy's got more time behind a bow. Um, not to take anything away from the SEALs versus Army. It's uh, not possible, too, so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I thought, I'm like, damn, this is, for me as a as a teacher, I, I felt really, you know, rewarded by that. I'm like, okay, this is pretty damn good you know you have three different variables that are kind of all converging into an end result that i see is you know highly favorable and matt's like because matt matt just wants he goes earlier today he was talking to me and andy and he said my worst nightmare is if i go bow hunting and like cripple something right. he said that would be he goes, I, w I want to be good enough to where that's not even in my thought right. process. And when we went down there, 
he was a little bit off, like he was touching the coffee bag yeah. but not you know he didn't shoot through the center of it like like retired like navy, navy seal, seal would yeah. um former and, yeah any and, and i said he goes is that still in the kill zone i'm like dude this 18 inch yeah. square block target is the size of you know the kill zone on an elk if you're talking front of the heart to the back of the lungs on an elk you know right which i think is something that he's striving for like this thing's dead and you're four inches off center right you know this is this is a smoker shot you've done amazing in a pretty limited amount of time i think that's that's really really cool what if someone is kind of in the field of where you guys came from what you asked me this on your podcast you asked me where they should go to learn now i'm asking you what advice would you give those people on hey this is man this is what this is what you need to to focus on the most which is gonna you know kind of help you transition and here's the things that I think you need to commit to, to where, you know, they can at least get to an ethical level as a bow hunter versus maybe where they've been either as a tactical person or, you know, someone with training past training, like what, what you guys had, what would you think? What advice would you give to them? Uh, similar, very similar advice, which would be, you know, find a good reputable range that, and there's plenty of them, you know, Mm -hmm. I think there's, you know, 3,000 ranges in the United States, give or take. You know, some are better than others. I think there are probably more ranges than there are bow ranges at this point, right, just because firearms. Yeah, um, but I'm saying if they were firearms changing over to archery, oh. what, what what advice would you say, hey, I'm oh. with you, bro. I know, I know what you went through, and here's going to be your struggles off the get-go, and here's the things you got to you, – you're going to really need to key in on. Well, I think, uh, you know, and that's not just because you're, obviously it's your podcast, but uh, you put out such good information. And before I knew you, I'd, I'd watched your one-on-one video mm-hmm. before I knew you, before I knew anything about it. I was like, oh, I've got to get on the internet and search, you know, where do I find this stuff? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, then I found a, a really, a, a great archery shop in Salt Lake. Like yep. they were, they were amazing like the guys were incredible obviously they spent a ton of time shooting and not only shooting but shooting animals mm-hmm. and you could tell being an instructor that they weren't bullshitting either so mm-hmm. one of my really close friends spends a ton of time uh shooting archery he's in the trad league and a bunch of these other places and he's like these guys will get you sorted and uh for me it was uh finding a good range with a good group of guys that I actually liked spending time with. And yep. I really felt that comfortable asking a lot of questions because you, you also have, you, you sound like an idiot and you have to be an idiot because you don't know anything about it. So you can't walk in thinking that you're going to know a ton of these things. You have to find somebody that will sit down with you and answer your questions because your videos will go up to a certain point, but yeah, I didn't know you. I couldn't text yeah. you and be like, Hey dude, what's up? You know, what about this, this, and this? Yeah. Here's me shooting. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the hardest part for me is not being able to, to do that for people, but it's impossible for me, for me to yeah, each in, person. 
But if you find good guys that you can ask a ton of questions with and then shoot a lot of arrows with, and I, most of that for me was in um, like shooting the the with the uh, trad bow. Mm-hmm. Like, I spent hours down there with those guys, like popping in on my way to work or my way out of work, and you know just talking to them about the equipment and what they're using, and those guys are hunting with it and doing a bunch of other Q and As, and then watching videos and then moving into compound for me <clears throat> well one i got one of your dry fire uh devices what do you what do you call those it's you a, got one of the right releases is that what it is just, just string, string in the wood, string handle? wood? Yep. Yeah. yep yeah so i've got one of those and i'll sit at my desk and i'll do that yep like over because i know how important it is too to dry fire and do rep after rep after rep the same way over and over and over and over again the problem is is that if you're not doing it right, and that's a that's a fear, mm-hmm. if you're not doing it right, you're building in a lot of reps. Doing the wrong thing. Doing the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so having somebody that can sit there and watch you and work you through it and then look at yourself, because I don't know enough about it, to look at myself from the outside, even if I were to give myself a video and go, dude, that, that looks great. Yeah, yeah, it looks great. Uh, so repetition, I think is a really important one, but it's repetition the right way, not repetition the wrong way. Yeah. And then I put a target in my backyard uh, Yeah. and that, and so now I've got targets in my backyard. I've got a tri fire device. I've got, you know, places to shoot. I've got people that I shoot with. Like, so now I'm building this entire infrastructure around being able to shoot more on a regular basis with guys that actually shoot too. So, and then incentivizing all the guys in the company to shoot like that's a whole other that's a whole other thing where i'm like now i'm telling all the guys in the shop like hey i'll help you guys buy you know bows and give you releases and everything else because i want you guys to shoot because i also want to shoot with other guys yeah Yeah. i would add expectation management to guys coming from our old background they're used to being at the apex of their job right Mm -hmm. and they're and they're not going to be but what I have noticed is that they will find success early because of an understanding and an overlay of the topics, which if you're not careful, will lead you to practicing less and not focusing on the fundamentals right. the way that you should. So expectation management and just, just do the fundamentals. One yeah. thing I would add to that as well, which I listen to a lot of podcasts with you. I've listened to podcasts that you've done with other SEALs. And I think, it seems like no matter what, every time I've ever been around a SEAL or when you guys are, you know, you guys are mutually around each other, it's so common that you talk about how many times you're asked, like, hey, what do I need to do to get through buds? Right. And I've All heard you say time and time again, you know, Hell Week is murderous, but if, you know, if, if, you're looking at the big picture, it's an impossibility to get through it. Yep. If you just do one day at a time, you know, if you, you know, if you or do one meal at a time or one hour at a time or whatever chunk you can bite off and focus on and then build that success. Yeah. I think if people are taking this up, you need to realize you don't have to go shoot a hundred arrows every day. If you do what Evan did and just get a target being consistent with 20 even if you can do 20 arrows a day which does not take a lot of time but if you do that you know 20 times a month 
you know, right. you know, have weekends off with your family. But if you do it 20 times a month, then you're doing the math where you're like, okay, well, damn, if I do that every week times 52 weeks, that's a big number. Yeah. You know, but if you just feel like, well, I'm not going to practice today because I can't, you know, I can't get 100, I can't get 200 in. I don't have an hour. Well, yeah, you're right. And you just keep pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back. But with, at least with archery, I found 10 to 20, like right now with um, what I'm doing with our school knock, we're still focusing on 10 ends of four arrows. We're talking 40 arrows. You can do that especially if you have four arrows, you know, an end should take you a minute and a half, two minutes Mm -hmm. to shoot four really good quality arrows, especially if you're shooting at 20 yards. How long does it take you to walk 20 yards, you know, pause for, uh, you know, 10, 20 seconds to pull arrows out, walk back, collect yourself, shoot this. It's, you know, I'm not asking a lot. It's, it's minimal and it's, the same when I wanted to do, Sharon was going to do a half marathon. So I, you know, told her I'll do, I'll do it with you. I don't particularly like running and I wasn't good at it, but I thought, you know what, if I can, instead of trying to find the days where I have time to do five, to do five miles, you know, I just, after a few times, I'm like, I don't have the time to go run for 30, 40 minutes right now. Right. Like, by the time I do it start to finish. But I can do one or two miles and try to be faster than I was yesterday. Right. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, today I've got some time. Maybe I should try to do five. And it's like, whoa, okay, this five was, was better than a week and a half or two weeks ago. And it's because... I didn't let this massive lag go. I just put in what I could that day. And then it's just, you know, it's still this math problem. Instead of having, you know, 24 plus 24, I had 2 plus 2 plus 3 plus 1 plus, you know, half plus another half plus 7. And then also I'm like, okay, that number at the very end is actually bigger than if I would have tried to force myself into, you know, kind of being a superstar and getting these massive, massive numbers, I think that's another way people can make sure that they're going to see progression at it and also stay committed to it. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, like I said, expectation don't, you know, when people expect to need to put in high volume numbers, anytime they do it, it's probably not a good, you know, it's, it's probably going to be more times than not where you find a reason that you can't do it because you're busy rather than just putting in a little bit of time. I told that to Jocko, you know, I said, Hey dude, I don't want you to be an archer where you're shooting like me, but man, if you can, if you can go out and give me 20 arrows a day, you're going to be, you're going to be a above average archer, for sure just 20 arrows a day and he's like yeah man i mean what he say he's gonna like make his morning cup of tea and just go out and shoot you know mm-hmm. 20 arrows while he's like drinking his morning tea and then and he's like yeah it lets me calm my mind i gotta do my writing i gotta think about stuff i gotta do and there you go that's like the perfect recipe to do it you yep. know especially if it's a hobby you know you don't have to make it a profession keep it a hobby and keep it fun just 
practice with a purpose and execute, you know, less volume but higher quality. You know, I found <clears throat> I found too because I'll travel fifty percent of the time. Like yeah, you guys, but like taking the dry fire device. It's not a dry fire device. He's using, he's using dry fire is what you, term. I'm using a marksmanship term. Dry fire is what you did to your buddy's bow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's well, called the right release. The it's, right release. It's that's what I shot mean. trainer. Shot, shot tra- trainer. There yeah. we go. That's better. So, but I'll take that with me on the road. Mm-hmm. And so I'll take that with me on the road. And then the other thing that it's done is like Matt, I'll call Matt like on a Saturday or whatever it is. And be like, hey, man, I'm just going to come up for a few hours we'll set up the targets in the backyard and we'll we'll shoot together Mm -hmm. you know so it's a socialization thing too because we're we're not talking about work for you know 40 minutes or an hour or whatever it is we get to hang out and and compete against each other which is Mm -hmm. always fun yeah like i don't know of a time in my life when somebody has asked me to compete in any circumstance whatsoever where i haven't been like yeah Oh, I don't want to compete. Like it's, it's like, not really my thing. It's not. It's not really, I'll just stand back and watch. Like I'm a, I'm a watcher, you know. No, it's like, man, it's 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 really having fun with it. So I think that's the other thing is like, it's not only expectation management and wanting to become good and and maybe master something or become proficient at it. It's also like have fun with it, and I look forward to it when I'm pa- when I'm packing my shit. And I'm like, throw the right release shot trainer shot trainer show it in my shove it in my bag and i'm like oh that's cool i'll sit in the hotel room and i'll be on a conference call muted (laughs) you know and and i'll be doing this thing me you know my all my my drive you know my total random uh cold calls i have to i used to have to do while i was you know doing over the phone sales at a bow company and i'd have to call me like yeah you know How's things going in the store? Mute. Yeah. <laughs> Click. <laughs> Click. Yeah. Click. Oh, that's awesome. Good job. Yeah. And I look forward to it. So mm-hmm. I'll look forward to things where it's exactly that, where I'm like, I know I'm going to be on the call. I know I'm going to be on this call for an hour. I know I'm going to maybe talk for 15 minutes of this, but I have to sit and be present. And instead of just, you know, doing something else, work related, I'll, I'll sit there and, you know, get however many pulls I can get out of it and it's fun I look forward to it mm-hmm. so those are all the things where I'm like man I look forward to it and I'm building it into the aspects of my life where I'm like it doesn't it's not work I'm not going oh I have to get 20 20 reps in or I gotta get 30 arrows or 50 arrows I'm like oh I get to go out for I got 20 minutes I'm gonna bust this out because this is fun this yep. is like super exciting and fun to me and it's better than you know I can't take my pistol out and go to my backyard and start ripping plates god i wish i i did have that circumstance mm-hmm. but i can do that in my backyard I yeah can do that completely legally and ethically and not gonna hit anything else i don't know well, legally look I into should, it yeah i should look into that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> should, now that i say that i should say like double back on that perhaps say, legally perhaps legally i know when i was in salt lake i was shooting in my backyard in salt lake and uh my buddy came over. He's a cop in Salt Lake. He's like, so you know you can't shoot your compound in Salt Lake, right? And in, inside the city limits. And I'm like, really? And he's like, 
Yeah, you're not supposed to, but everybody does. <laughs> it's like everybody in the city does it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. So am I gonna get? Are you guys gonna like bust down my door because you're gonna see me? He's like, no, it's just you know, it is a city. Just FYI, yeah. Just FYI, we don't really enforce it, but you're not supposed to. If you hit some house in the backyard, you know, knock on wood, I never had that happen. But he's like, yeah, they, it's not necessarily a good thing. Well, I try to stress to people too especially with these homework assignments and some people are doing awesome at it. They're just getting in their reps where they can, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to, you you don't have to have 20 yards. You don't have to have a hundred yards. Um, you know, practicing good execution. It's almost better which you learned today when we were shooting close, you guys were doing really good. As soon as we moved back, I'm like, whoa, yeah. hold the phone, everyone. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we haven't, we're still doing archery. <laughs> <laughs> 20, 29 steps that way. This was a, a very different thing happening right now. I, mean, I feel like I just got a brand new class that, and I go, forget about the fact that we're double the distance do the same thing and it took you guys a while for you to be like okay yep we trust you know we trust you coach we're just going to do that i almost feel like people that do practice close range and they're not seeing you know smaller targets more movement because you don't they almost get better technique you know, and because they're not worried about the movement. Yeah. And I think maybe that's the same if you're, you know, when you guys are doing, you know, maybe just like your, your dry fire training, if you're, you know, if you're not able to go out to a range, people that just dry fire train close, you know, when I first taught Sharon and Harry, I taught them with, uh, it's called an air bow. It's like a piston that I can mount on their bow to Uh where it just like, you know, it looks like a piston that shoots. Um, unfortunately they don't make them anymore, but I I told them, I'm like, you guys don't have to go out and practice with me every day the way I do. But I said, you know, how about I put this on your bow? We'll leave it in the living room. We can watch TV as a family, you know, we can watch a movie, but if a commercial comes on for two minutes, I just want you to pull back, you know, aim at something, a light switch or whatever, and just, you know, just try to execute some really good shots, close proximity, but just, you know, just try to get some extra numbers added on the tally, you know, and, and just, it's good enough. And then next thing you know, they, they go outside and they're surprised at how well they're shooting. And I'm thinking just because you haven't been out here doing it at this distance in the outside with like open air, what you did, in the living room is arguably more beneficial mm-hmm. than doing it out here if you're not doing it the right way. Well, I knew a guy, I knew a couple of them actually, they were from Japan where they can't have firearms whatsoever. And they would shoot IPSC, but they would only shoot two to three matches a year. What is that? Uh, it's a International Pistol Shooting Association. It's comp competitive shooting okay with the pistol um, with Mm -hmm. a pistol and uh um but they would shoot airsoft 
mm -hmm. all year in Japan. And then one of my one of the one of my students in one of the courses, I was talking to him before he'd actually immigrated to the United States. He's like, Yeah, I'd fly out to Vegas once a year and I would win. I was a grandmaster. He's like, I was a grandmaster. He'd only shoot twice a year. <laughs> wow. At the tournament. Live. Yeah. Yeah. Like at tournaments. And he would like destroy but all year all year and he had in his house in his living room he had plates set up and he had his airsoft pistol and he would just <laughs> like slay the dragon every day in japan yep and then come out and then everything was the same you know it's a mm -hmm. little bit more of a little bit more recoil because it's a live weapon but at the end of the day he had done so much with yeah. under proper form he shot so many rounds with actual recoil and all these other things he was amazing. He was an amazing Such shooter. Such a cool example. Mm -hmm. I think it's super comparable to some of my best years shooting in the circuits were actually my busiest years at work because mm -hmm. I sh because I shot so much and because I was at so many events. When I came when I flew home either late Sunday night or first thing Monday morning, I knew that on the next Friday morning I had to be gone, and so my agreement with my employer was you have to get in your 50 hours. So I was cramming, you know, trying to get my work in, and just like you said, I was executing with a string in my release while I was doing my work, and I was on a headset or on speakerphone. I was doing it, and then I would just – grab my bow case on mon on Friday morning the same as where it was packed on Monday morning when I flew home and I would just throw clean clothes in there close that thing back up and then hit the road and my main practice with the actual arrow leaving the bow was at regulation practice before the tournament started but I was my best ever because I don't think I, you know, I, I almost don't think I was slowing my shot down because of the elements, you know, days where the weather was bad or if I saw movement or, you know, dealing with, I don't know, whatever type of distractions you have outside, everything was like a super, super controlled environment, just going through the motions, going through the motions, going through the motions to where it was just secondary. And I think it was a, a benefit. You know, and I've done that with students on national teams. They're, you know, they're like, hey, what's on our schedule for for today? You know, we have full day. We're going to be shooting. What are we going to do? And I'm just like shooting strings. And they're like, what? Well, do you visualize when you're using that? Or are you visualizing Oh, yeah, I visualize target? everything. Yeah. There were times where, I don't know if you guys did this, but there were times where I knew quite possibly who I'd be facing right. in, in, you know, match play. I'm like, okay, ranking rounds are done. You know, I'm getting down to the quarterfinals. Here's who I'm going to, here's who I'm going to see. I've been at this course enough. This is what it's going to feel like. And I'm visualizing, you know, I'm shooting this, he's shooting that comes down, you know, okay, now we're closest arrow. We need, you know, tiebreaker closest closest to center wins match point you know i i kind of created within my mind i manifested right things that i th 
that I sensed were going to happen. And there were definitely times where, you know, almost like daydreaming scenarios that I manifested happened. And then when I was there, I'm like, I know how this ends. I've already done it. And then it happens and I'm just like, you know, and then I'm thinking, yeah, it was like dream come true. I had, you right. know, I was dreaming about this earlier. Now I just did it. I mean, did you guys ever do that at all? A little bit less control and the options available. Yeah. So, because you never, I mean. You yeah. Know, like, oh, I'm going to see Bob again on the range. <laughs> like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. didn't work like that. Um, I, and I definitely visualized a lot of things, like scenarios that you may encounter and how you would react to it. Mm. And sometimes they, not often, I would say. What about, in, um, I mean, because I like, I like having a podcast, but I also like a podcast where people realize this doesn't have to relate to you shooting a bow. This could also relate to, you know, you being a good employee. It could be, you know, you doing, th but did you ever do it for wing, for your wingsuit stuff? Every wingsuit base jump I do, I'm visualizing like, Every turn, on every the, movement. On the hike, I'm thinking about putting my gear on. When I'm putting right. my gear in, I'm thinking about every aspect of the jump, and I think myself through every phase of it. My goal is to never be surprised. Right. And that's probably why they were successful, because mm -hmm. you weren't encountering things that you didn't expect. You're like, okay. Certainly didn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, I think it's the same. I mean, I, I do a ton of that. It's interesting because I've read something recently, I guess, in the, probably the last six months it, where they were talking about visualization exercises and using them a little bit more effectively in performance-based activities. Mm -hmm. um, and they painted the picture as, you know, the brain drives everything, right? It's it's your eyes and it's your, it's your senses outside of this thing that's encapsulated in your head. But the thing that's encapsulated in your head can't differentiate between anything it's your eyes and your hands and everything else so you can place yourself in those moments mm -hmm. through visualization and get the same type of emotion that you would but it's time travel basically you know you're mm -hmm. putting yourself exactly in those moments and if you put yourself in those moments and have a negative interaction when those things come up more than likely that's the way that you'll you'll deal with them so when <clears throat> i was it was in related to business more than anything it was like predicting yourself in the future i was like oh yeah well we do that all the time because in training in running scenarios you're painting a, f a future possible outcome mm -hmm. and then you have to run those scenarios over and over again it's super important <clears throat> yep. to be successful in those scenarios because you you want to paint the visualization and have mm -hmm. the same endorphin run at, or the 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 emotional mm. activity and the brain activity that you would but you also have to know what it feels like to fail too mm -hmm. which is really important because if you know what it's like to feel like to fail you want to fight everything to stay out of that that arena right so it'll force you to train harder and ultimately uh, visualize yourself into that position and stay calmer in the scenario mm -hmm. but know. training to failure for the purpose of just failing 
but like no lesson from that is yeah. not valuable because then you because then you imprint that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. Valuable. It's a you. I totally agree with Evan. You have to fail to deal with that. But you, I see training all the time that it's designed to make them fail, so you can say, "Oh, you suck." Yeah. Zero value. Zero value. Yeah. Like, like especially you, if you keep doing it. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's a negative value. It's a negative quickly. value. Very mm-hmm. quickly. So even now, I've been forcing myself, and not even now, but forcing myself to in any activity or anything that we that we do as a company or I do individually is to visualize every aspect of the of the the two three four five years down the road that we want whether it's something I want to do as a father or a businessman or you know an an athlete or whatever it is I have to be able to visualize that and spend time throughout the day mm-hmm. now I actually carve time out through the day I'm not I'm, I can't meditate that's not something that I'm like capable of doing right now in my life it's just I can't focus well enough to do it but yeah I can do a, a, a lot of visualization. visualization yeah even just driving down the road and then you know kind of you can react to traffic and do all the things but then put yourself in these situations and understand what you're going to do in the future. I think it's very important for, especially for athletes. And I think athletes do it so well and really great athletes. I think it's almost uniformity that they all do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I did it without really being told that I should. Right. You know, I never had, I never had, like sports psychologists in front of me to where they're like, here's a guy, you know, you need to see him every day for an hour. I never, I never had that or every week, but I did know that a lot of my poor performances were a hundred percent based on me doing a self-destructive, you know, task Mm -hmm. where I second guess myself or it was the situation was so new to where I didn't feel comfortable enough there to perform at what my level really was. So I started doing a lot of, and I'm not a reader, you know, it's hard, it's, it's hard for me to sit down and read. A lot of times I'll read and then get halfway through the page and be like, I don't remember anything I just read. So then I go back and do it and do it. And for whatever reason, reading's tough for me. So, um, I can't sit down and read a book, but I just decided every year I'm just going to buy like one type of sports psychology book and just, just put it somewhere where when I'm there, I don't have distraction. And for me, it was the toilet. So I always just said, I'm not going to sit, you know, I'm not going to sit and read this book at night or I'm not going to read it in the morning, but I can probably read two or three pages while I'm getting this stuff done. And, you know, and there's, like, not a lot of distractions within the bathroom. And for me, I picked, you know, I picked up on little nuggets from a lot of different books. Some of them, there were things where I certainly read and thought, well, I don't, you know, I can't relate that way or maybe I don't think that way. But every, there was always one or two things. And then, once again, it's just like what we talked about earlier. If over the course of two years I had four books where I had two things that I picked up on. Well, now I have, I have eight new tools in my tool belt, you know, from, um, from a mental aspect to where I was able to fall back on them and use them when I knew that I was kind of creating a negative situation for me. 
and it it made me a better athlete you know and visualization was one of them that I embraced the most and for whatever reason I've always just like done naturally and I think it's because um and I know Andy's this way too before I do things I like to go through like mental rehearsal so many times I I enjoy it like I enjoy that aspect right. and I think because I naturally do that I also naturally daydreamed which was the daydreams were like manifesting potential encounters or potential situations and I was almost not being focused by you know going through my routine but then a distraction kind of led me into well you know, what if I was doing this, but then I had, you know, I kind of created these right. things at the time, but they did prepare me. I mean, they did, you know, there were times where I certainly was like, man, I've already thought about this. And, you know, when I thought about it, here's what I, you know, imagine the outcome to be. And more times than not, if I ever thought about it negatively, it happened right. negatively. And when I thought about it, in a positive aspect, then, you know, certainly there's a certain control that's not mine. You know, the person I'm competing with, sometimes they were just way better. Right. And even though I was trying to simulate a positive outcome, some people just flat out, out you know, they outperform you. Right. And it, so it just didn't happen. But I was still executing what I had imagined. It's just the outcome was different, but there were certainly times where I was super self-destructive where I had doubt in my head and thought, well, this is the worst thing I could do. And then all of a sudden I did it right. because that's like what was, I think it's because that's what was in my head. Yeah. I, I've, I've thought a lot about that where, you, you know, books, inherently for me i don't have a lot of time right like right now it's i just spend a lot less time reading mm -hmm. but then i've <clears throat> the last couple of years i've because i used to be pretty hard on myself i think last you know probably two years ago or so it's like hard on myself i'm like fuck i'm not reading you know need to read more you know it's like there's a performance pressure of you know trying to intake information but then i realized this i and it's a theory and i know it's probably a rabbit hole but it's just my personal theory were it's like it's a very cumbersome way of taking in information and it you're taking somebody else that's articulated and then you're using language as a barrier because they have to use you know their words and you don't have facial expressions or anything else whereas the developmental cycle and evolution humans have been teaching each other how to learn things this way yeah and it's been watching so if we look at our kids and how they learn, you can't communicate with them, mm -hmm. but they have to watch you in order to learn. And it's a much mm -hmm. more effective way of learning anything is communicating directly with someone or listening. Mm -hmm. Like, so I actually prefer now to listen to books than read them because you can hear inflection in the voice. You can go back, you can do a lot of different things with information. And then if it's something I'm really interested in, then I'll overlay a book with the audio version and then layer in, you know, sections of, you know, hunt down YouTube with it and then layer it's several different forms of information 
in order to try to solidify a point that I'm trying to or, or, or come to a conclusion with something. Yeah. So <clears throat> for me, I've become less focused on reading and more focused on how do I get an effective how do I get effective information to, you know, my brain and then be able to digest it in, yeah, a, in a better Yeah, it term. really soaks in. You're yeah. not just like, um, well, I've had times where I've gone to put in seed on the food plot and I don't have time to like rough up the ground. So I thought, well, I'm just going to broadcast it. Right. And, you know, there's a rain coming I'm going to take. Well, all of a sudden, the you know, <laughs> there's too much rain. It just... I end up having all this, you know, food plot at the end of the, you know, it's all washed down at the end because nothing really stuck. It was just a tremendous amount of seed that like flowed through. And then now it's like, cool. Yeah. Neat. I got a really awesome turnip patch at the end of the, (laughs) at the end of the room. And now I've got a bunch of like slick dirt in between. So I, you know, I realized I've got a, I've got a, you know, prep the surface and deliver it at a rate to where, you know, it it soaks in, you know, it's not like this massive downpour. It's a continual, a continual slow rain to where, you know, it, it soaks in and, you know, actually nourishes what, you know, what I'm trying to, to feed rather than just dumping a huge bucket on there. And then it's just like, and then it's gone, you know, mm-hmm. and it, you end up saying, well, what did, what did I even do? I don't, you know, I don't even feel like anything made it. Yeah. My wife and I will read some of the same things. We've done that over the last few years. She'll remember 90% more mm-hmm. because I'm thinking about something else while yeah. I'm reading a book yep. and same thing. Like I'm reading and I'll go three pages deep and I'm like thinking about something completely different as I'm reading. I'm like, I, I can't even tell you. <laughs> what was just yeah. what was just, two pages chap- ago let two alone pages. the last sentence yeah yeah what and chapter are we whereas my here? wife like she retains all of it but there's the other aspect of that where i think imagination comes in too where uh th- there's the c- people that are really creative and they've got a hyper imagination i think that's a really a really good thing because it allows you to do exactly that you mm. can forecast and put yourself into these scenarios in a very detailed way which is such a unique skill and i think it actually has to be cultivated and learned and developed and then rehearsed over and over and over and you get better and better and better at it Mm -hmm. and if you don't do that on a regular basis it actually it can go away yeah because i've had a hard time even in the last year because the company's been so busy getting back into that mode in the last few months i've actually found it more challenging to get a different that imaginative it's just like working out you know if you're in the routine in the routine in the routine it's easy to do as soon as you have this massive lag it's like the hardest part is just getting you know (laughs) getting to the gym continue yeah yeah, Yeah. continuous in the routine well in this thing just like like robs your, you know, the time. And if you think about it, like when we were growing up or when we were, you know, the hurry up and wait moments in the military, it's one of the things where it powered the company to a certain degree because we had all these guys that were, had all this imagination. And a lot of it was because we were forced 
into these circumstances where we had to communicate with each other, make each other laugh. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a cell phone that we could look at and check in with, you know, Instagram every 15 minutes and zone out and just was like, always rocks totally to immersed. It's always rocks to throw. There's always somebody kicking around ideas and you're forced into, you know, 20 or for me, like 20 years of imagination land with yeah. a group of dudes that also were forced into the same scenario. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> it's, it's interesting because I see other people, you know, th- that didn't have, that don't have that. They don't have any form of Im- imagination whatsoever. They can't visualize. Like they can't even visualize to put themselves into these scenarios in the future doing something positive. They don't have the skill set or they can't, yeah. they can't even cultivate it. And like we were talking about this morning, so where, where do they go for their inspiration? Yeah. They look for it externally yeah. instead of internally. Look mm-hmm. at a phone. It's like that, um, have, well, we talked about this with black with the black rifle factory when we went in and the new black rifle coffee company was a junior college yeah so when you go in there's like there's like a men's women's bathroom then there's like lecture hall lecture hall 117 and lecture hall 142 and you know, there, you can you, when you go in there, you're like, well, that was a library, like that was a computer lab, that was a classroom, but you were able to go through and be like, okay, this this shell is what I need, mm-hmm. but I can I can build it to what I want. I've been I've had times where I've gone on people where they're looking for house and they walk in and then they leave and they're like, I just don't like it, and I'm thinking, man, that was a freaking cool place, and they're like. I just hate yellow carpet. And it's <laughs> yeah, like seriously, yeah. It's yeah. like yeah. wait, dude, you can, you can change it. The carpet can change. Yeah, but I don't I don't like white trim. <laughs> okay, well yeah. you like all that is details that just they can be changed. They're like I don't I don't think I don't think so. Yeah. And it's like some people can't see past what's like the you know, it's the critical problem solving stuff. All right, dude. Well, one thing before we leave, we have to do it a little better in uh, the introduction we gave for Andy. But no, that was a solid one. <laughs> okay, you I guys want to inter- you guys want to do your own introductions because we I never really gave you a formal introduction at the beginning. Just oh. we I mean I said yeah. I'm with Evan, yeah, uh, with with Black Rifle, and I'm with Andy, which they we, know Andy. They Most know of Andy. the listeners know Andy. Um, but you've got such a cool background, and obviously, um, you're a cool onion, man. Like I keep, <laughs> I keep seeing these new layers. <laughs> keep seeing these new layers every time we meet. I'm like, shit. You know, this is I'm. And Andy and I talked about this too. We're like, we are. Evan's such a good guy. There's no way. You know, there's no way I wouldn't be affiliated with Black Rifle because I like being sold on the person, not the product. And, you know, the products are great, but being sold on, like, the person behind the company, at least in my opinion, is almost more more, more valuable. It's more important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, you're, I mean, you've got so many different facets that when I was external from the company and you know then came in as you know an ambassador or whatever you want to call me 
I uh, so much of what you did before wasn't transparent to me within my community in archery. And then the longer I've been around you, I'm like, you know, holy cow, this guy has the story behind it's just way better than you know at least what made it into my realm and maybe some of the reason why it's not known is you know maybe you know you don't you know it's not like something you're going to broadcast continually unless you know you're kind of being prodded to say you know Mm -hmm. what your past was but give us give everyone a little background because i think it's critical to you know why annie and i both support the brand and you know why i think people should support you yeah i mean first i I think i'm i'm humbled by that by that statement and the sense of um you're in i think it's obvious and obvious to your your listeners i mean you're you're at the the pinnacle of your profession right and you're not only at the pinnacle of your profession you're you're a great guy like you're known as that and i think your reputation precedes you and then it's the same thing the more we hang out the more i'm like man you're just a genuine great guy and there are so few great and when i say that there are a lot of good people out there there are very few great people and so for me i'm very humbled and uh and thank you for saying that but it's funny my background um matt and i were talking about this the other day uh, we, we both feel the same way, which is, um, you know, we, we're not, we're not even, when I say we're, we're proud, like I, I did exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and, um, and I, in some ways I think it's, uh, I, I used a more derogatory term. I think it's kind of, it was kind of lame in some regards. Like, I'm just like, man, it's kind of lame. You know, I'm not necessarily embarrassed of it, not any stretch of the imagination, but, it was very selfish, you know, I'm a, when I, the 20 years of service and people say, thank you for your service. And it's like, man, I I was a very selfish person. Like I did exactly what I wanted to do every year, every minute, every second. And that's exactly what I wanted to do when I could do it. And, um, so, you know, my background was, I was a, uh, infantry guy. Then I was a green beret. And then I went to work for the CIA and in uh 05 2005 and um and then i started black rifle coffee in 2014 when i still worked for the cia i started roasting coffee in 2005 because i was interested really interested in it Mm -hmm. um and when i transitioned out of government service i wanted to do something completely different which is the whole the whole another thing which was I'd been carrying a rifle or a pistol or pistols and rifles and frags and everything else my entire adult life. Uh, I loved the the subculture and the guys associated with it, but <clears throat> I was um, beyond burnt, you know, yeah. mentally, like I was completely checked out. My biggest fear in life was uh, whether or not I could even, if I had the capacity to love my children in the future, which is a horrible place to be in mentally where you're like, I can't have any emotion in your life whatsoever. You're just kind of a machine, yeah. you know, and not like a robot, like an executioner or something like that. No, you just have to be so callous with your, with your life. And you're so careless with your life every day, day in and day out for years. I spent, uh, I think we talked about it uh, from 2000, 
three to 2014 or 13, 13 probably. Uh, I'd spent 290 days roughly every year deployed either to Iraq or Afghanistan or Southeast Asia. And there, there was a, a bind to the fact that, you know, I loved the work. I loved the environment. I loved working in war. Um, I loved the mission. I loved everything about it. Uh, but it's a very detrimental profession for a number of reasons, psychologically, yeah. for me. Not for mm -hmm. everybody. Just for me. It was just like, you know, I got to the point where I needed to do something completely different. And I wanted to do something in coffee. My wife was, she had a coffee shop in Denver. I had been doing coffee and taking it overseas with me. And by no stretch of the imagination did I think, and nor do I ever, even to this day, I don't think that I'm great. I don't think that, I think that I'm, I think that I can work incredibly hard mm -hmm. because I love it. Like yeah. I, I love work. Like I fucking work 20 hours a day. It doesn't phase me in the sense of like, I don't need to like veg out and hang out like that. That annoys me more than anything yeah. else. Uh, so I have a overwhelming uh, propensity to just work and work and work. Um, but now with the company it, and with Black Rifle Coffee, I get to do things again that I love to do. So it's selfish again. Mm -hmm. You know, I get to work in coffee. I get to work around my my good friends so my closest friends in the world work work for the company my dad works for the company my sister works for the company and my wife works for the company part-time like uh we've hired a lot of families and people and now we have you know roaster in salt lake we've got one in tennessee we've got another building that we we just bought in in tennessee i'm extremely lucky in every regard and i've been lucky my entire life uh you know i have all my fingers and toes uh which is extremely fortunate and I've been a very lucky hardworking guy with a lot of incredible opportunities surrounded by fucking amazing men and women that ultimately <clears throat> their back should be tired yeah because they've been carrying me my entire life so uh, that's my that's my two cents I can't follow that. <laughs> I'm a 41 year old dude trying to figure it out a day at a time. That's all I got. <laughs> well, people know you, Andy. I, th but I thought uh, you wanted a bio. You know, it's like it was good. I I mean, it was great. I appreciate that. That's why. Yeah, it was awesome, man. It's why, uh, you know, I'm pumped to be affiliated with you guys. It's really. It's really, really refreshing, and especially, it's one of those things. Uh, you meet people, and sometimes you think, "Wow, I wasted a long time following this because this this really is totally different than what my expectations were," and I'm kind of let down. But then all of a sudden, you go to the next place, and you're like, "These guys are under evaluating themselves." You know, they're you know if they if it was out there further and they were maybe a little bit you know more open to you know to who they are what all they've done or you know how much what they're doing means to them they you know they'd probably have more support and i think that's where you're at you know for sure i think your story is awesome um had a great time glad you're in archery Glad you're in archery, and um, I think it's really, really important for what I'm passionate about, and both of you guys are awesome. 
super fun. This was a great, uh, well, it was only a day, really. Yep. We've, we've banged out a lot of stuff God. in yeah, a full day. day. That's good. In a full day, but um, sometimes one full day of work is all you need if you get after it, and we did. So cool, dudes. Yeah. Uh, see you, everybody. Thanks, Joe. Knock on. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.